0: Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Father, how wonderful it is to know this truth, that you've loved us so much and that you would never leave us alone. You gave us your son, and when he returned to you, Father, you gave us your spirit. You would never leave us alone because you love us so much. And Father, how can we repay this? How can we say thank you? Words fail us. So we humble ourselves before you in this day when we come to your house, Father. And we ask you that through your Holy Spirit, you will join us all together as we give you the glory for never leaving us alone. For eternity that will be. And so we praise you in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And all of us, we agree and we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. It is always such a wonderful privilege to be in the house of God and sharing God's message with you. You know, you can do your preparation as much as you want, but you always trust and depend upon God's Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you to say the things that you say. And you can only hope that you say the right things. Because when you speak from the flesh, you're going to err and you're going to make mistakes. You know, we speak to God through prayer. But God speaks to us through his word. And it's all we have in this world. And it's all we need in this world. So let's go this morning then to the book of 1 John chapter 5. And we're going to read there from verse 6. 1 John 5 from verse 6. And I just want to say also welcome to our online viewers. Welcome to all of you present here. You who've made the decision to wake up early and to come here this morning. Let's read from God's Word then. Verse 6, chapter 5, from the book of 1 John. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, Because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7 of 1 John 5. For there are three that bear witness in the heavens the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. You cannot separate the Trinity. And verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on the earth. And they are the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. In the Greek, it says they, they literally, they are literally in unison. You can't separate their witness. They, they, are, they are literally together and they are united. Verse 9. For if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. Verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. And he who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony. Verse 11. Last verse we're reading. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. We're going to refer to some of them again during this morning. But what a powerful portion of Scripture. And I want to give just some context what John is busy doing here. Now, this is written more or less AD 90. So John was coming towards the end of his life on earth. Now, I want you just for a moment, just to picture John, the apostle. And we've all heard he's called the apostle of love. We know that John is called the apostle of love. But I think... We devalue the power of how God worked in John. Because often when you read about John and you see John, it's like, almost like this timid figure, this very chilled, laid-back apostle just walking in love. Listen, our Lord Jesus called him and his brother the sons of thunder. He was not a timid man. John was a feisty person. It was black and white. It was right and wrong. It was truth or it was error or lie. But John was not unsure who he was in Christ. And when he writes this, John very well is aware of this. He is the last of his generation. And what generation is that? In 1 John 1, you can read there the first few verses. This is the generation that John comes from. He says, I have seen the Christ. I was in his presence. I saw him. I touched him. He was that generation. And after that would come generations like ourselves who would never be that generation again. So when John writes this, he writes from a personal experience and he realizes my friends have passed on. All his 11 friends, the apostles, they, 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 they have died by now. His contemporaries of his age, they are all gone. His own life is heading towards an end and he has got to give the church something that he can write from first firsthand experience and he knows what is coming afterwards. And it is so powerful that God uses John to write something 2,000 years ago that they were experiencing then that exactly the church is experiencing today because what was happening there, John wanted to make abundantly clear to the church then as it must be today who Jesus Christ is. Because the greatest tragedy of our time today Concerning the church, it is not the different ordinances that the churches have and that they believe in. Faiths and religions they break off from one another because they have different beliefs here and there. They do a baptism this way. They do a a, a, a particular structure or a project uh, in a different way. The greatest tragedy of the church, which which John writes about here on the leading of the Holy Spirit, is this: is that the church preaches a different Jesus. This is the greatest problem we have in the church today. Church talking about the church globally. If the body of Christ would let go of every type of faith and denomination and religion and we would just preach what God says about Jesus Christ. The body of Christ would change this world. That is the power that we have. And this is what God is writing him. He's giving abundant proof of who Jesus Christ is for you, for me, and all future generations. And we heard it and we're going to touch briefly on it. There's witness in the heavens of who Jesus Christ is. There's witness on the earth who Jesus Christ is. They say witness Personal for you as a testimony who Jesus Christ is. There is the witness of God who Jesus Christ is. How can we walk away from that? Because we did. The body of Christ did walk away from that. Because we should all, all the churches in this world, should be called followers of Christ. Not a faith, not a denomination. We should all just be this. But man can just not help himself, can he? Because in some way, one or another, we need to elevate ourselves. We need to become a person of significance. We need to have a name. We need to have a following. We want to be like God, but we fall so far short from God. And when God gives us this, He makes it abundantly clear that the church is going to have the struggle from within which was happening then, what John was writing about, because even then, there were false teaching about who Jesus Christ was. And John writes here from a personal account. I have seen the Messiah. I have heard him speaking. I have touched him. My head was on his chest. I heard the heartbeat of the Messiah. I'm telling you who he is. And if you just stay with this, You are going to be successful in every part of your life. That is what God is giving us through this particular portion of Scripture. Verse 5 or verse 6 says this This is He who came. This word came in Greek is the word erkumai. This means Jesus our Lord physically came, He was visible, the Savior was seen. It's not just a story that he stole. It's not just a book that is nice to read when you're feeling down. It's physically proven that he literally entered into this world. He could be seen. And John testifies of this. Verse seven says this, for there are three that bear witness in the heavens. Who are they? It is the father, the son. Well, first he talks here, not of the son. He talks about the word. Jesus, our Lord, became son when he became flesh. In the heavens, he was always the word. He was there since the beginning. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and nothing was formed without the word and the word. Listen, the word became flesh. He's always been in the heavens and the father testifies to this. He calls him the word. He's been there right with him. The Holy Spirit in the heaven testifies of him. The Holy Spirit gave us this. The Holy Spirit is the written word. He inspired it. So in the heavens, there is no doubt who Jesus was. The angels in the heavens knew long before He became flesh, they knew who He was. For our benefit, He came to the earth. That is the evidence and the witness that is in the heavens. And now we read in verse 8, and these three bear witness on earth. It is the spirit, the water, and the blood. The spirit gives evidence of who Jesus is when we are saved. That is the evidence that we have. He's in us. You can't confess or believe in Christ and say that you believe in Christ if it is by your own way. It is only by the Holy Spirit. And then the water and the blood. And there's been much contention about this. What, what does the water and the blood represent? Listen, you have to understand this. You can never separate the baptism from Jesus Christ. And when it's spoken about water, you always have to look at the baptism. And people sometimes misunderstand the baptism. I don't want to talk about baptism too long, but I do want to clarify things concerning the baptism. Jesus himself didn't need to be Baptized because he was sinful. His baptism is the baptism of salvation. He was the example. All of us must be baptized into Christ because he is the example. We can do nothing in this world. We have no one to follow except there is an example. If children obey their parents and do what they are supposed to do, it is because they have an example. If you go to work, you've got a job description which tells you what you must do. You have an example to follow. Jesus Christ is our example through baptism. That is why we do get baptized. And it's not an immersion that is just doing it because it is nice to do. It is an immersion because Jesus our Lord through His baptism was already pointing towards His future. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ was to come. And just as that was to come for Him, we... Will die physically as well, and I mean, I mean spiritually. And we are raised again; we are resurrected. That is, this is why we baptize. And listen, whoever goes out in this world, whatever religion it is, I don't care about religion. Honestly, I don't care because if you teach any kind of baptism that is different than that, it is a fallacy. There is no such thing as a grood doop and a claim doop. A big baptism and a small baptism. There is sprinkling or whatever. Jesus Christ said, we must do as He does. And He says, go into the world and baptize them in what? In the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We must go and do that. Because we are obedient to Him. That is the witness that we have. That is the only baptism that there is. Because the baptism of Jesus Christ marked the beginning of His earthly ministry. And so did His death, the blood that is spoken of here. So did His blood mark the end of His earthly ministry. This is why we do baptism this is why we must be baptized because we identify with our example which is jesus christ and on the cross when jesus died we have to understand this the blood was poured out for us god was never angry with his son god never hates his son god hates the sin that his son took upon himself your sin my sin That is what makes God angry when we sin, because sin means we're in direct opposition to who God is and what he wants us to to, to, to do. We we become an opponent of our God when we sin. So when Jesus took sin upon himself, we have to understand he was still the sinless and the unblemished lamb of God. He didn't become a sinner when he took sin upon himself. Let me, let, me, let me just explain this by virtue of an example. I see Pastor George has got a nice jacket on this morning. If Pastor George, if he takes off that jacket, it doesn't change who he is. He's still George Brandon. When he puts on the jacket, he still is the same person. He just looks different. So when Christ took on the jacket of sin, he didn't become a different person because of that sin. He just took it so that we don't have to suffer because of the punishment of that it was to come. He took it upon himself. He was still the unblemished lamb, the sinless son of God. And that is why the father could raise him from the dead as the firstborn, because he was still sinless. This is how God looked at him. And we have to understand this, that with the blood that is witnessed here it is Jesus Christ for full this earthly ministry everything that was required to reconcile us with god that was done this is why we can believe that Jesus is the son of god and this is what happens when we look at these three that testify on the earth the spirit the water and the blood of Jesus Christ and then it says all three these witnesses they agree as one they agree as one what does this speak of of unity unity. If there's no unity in the body of Christ, we're not going to stand. If there's no unity in your personal life, in your home life, in your work life, in your relationship life, you will not make it in this life. Because the Word of God says, God is a spirit of unity and the enemy is a spirit of strife. You must always and you will always come against the spirit of strife because we must come against the work of the enemy because he wants to cause division. You know, thinking about church here and, and driving through that gate. You know, for, for us who, who, who work here full time, I hate the, work, the word work because it's not work. For us who have the privilege of serving here full time, we come here often. For me, every single time I drive to, through that gate, something just changes for me. I enter God's Domain, he's ground here. There's something that's just different. And when I look at the people when they come here in the mornings and in the evenings on a Sunday and even on a Saturday prayer meeting, you just see the smiles. You see people going and hugging. And I know we are supposed to keep some kind of distance, but people don't care about that. And I love it about the body of Christ. We will not be separated from what we do best. Paul says, I greet you with a brotherly kiss. Now, please, all the men, take that very carefully. (laughs) Wives, watch your husbands. Please, watch your husbands. But you know what I'm getting at? We as Christians, we are a happy bunch of people, and we should be. We should be. When people come into this place, I see it. I see they hug one another, and they're asking how they're doing. You see smiles beyond the mask that we are wearing, because the smiles lit up to the faces. And it's because here, they experience the unity. Whether people are going through difficult times or hardship, and they are suffering, we here to pray for, and we can relate to it, and we raise with this, and we care for one another, and lift up one another in prayer. This is what happens here. This is the power of unity. And I don't want to criticize, but I will say this, because I cannot understand. I honestly, I cannot understand why would you still want to be at home? Why would you not want to come to the body, with the body? into the house of God. I know people may have their reasons. You may have legitimate reasons, whatever that is. But I, but I know that there are many people who are still in the comfort of their own lives do not come here. I don't understand this. You rob yourself here. And they, and they think, and it is said out there, and it's, and it's frightening how the reasoning of people goes because I read some of them worldwide in the church circles, the online churches nowadays. They justified in saying, but no, but we are the body of Christ. In my home, I am the body of Christ. I am the church. I am the church. This is what they say. I am the church. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself because the church is never the individual person. Because if that was the case, what is this? Why would we do this? In the Old Testament, God even proved the power of unity. He called up Israel three times a year. They had to go up to Jerusalem, to the temple, during three feasts. Even where they were staying in the different regions, in the Old Testament, this was before the New Covenant. Even then, God made it very clear that the convocation, the holy convocation of people, the the gathering of the people, the fellowship of the saints was still needed for the body of Christ. Because three times a year during the feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, all of Israel would go up to Jerusalem, all of them. If those feasts were finished, what happened to those who were living in Jerusalem? Because there were many people who were still living around and in Jerusalem. They went to the temple every Sabbath. And some of them even daily. When the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, it says that those believers went to the temple daily. And we have an issue to come to the church on a Sunday once because it's more comfortable at a home, because we have the option now of live streaming. And I'm not knocking live streaming. You must hear my heart in this. I cannot understand why there are people in the body of Christ who want to rob yourself from this. This unity, these beautiful faces, these smiles. Here where you get encouragement. Here where there is a specific anointing. That is the power of unity. And it is testified through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. When we, this word that says, if we receive the witness of men, this word receive means we literally, we literally accept this as valid. And the power of the witness or the testimony of people are so, so powerful. I mean, there are many testimonies out there, but here's the thing about personal testimony. Personal testimony is subjective. In other words, my testimony of what our Lord did for me, how I got saved, is powerful to me, but it's not going to have the same power or impact in you. Yes, it may inspire perhaps some of you, but by and large, it's not going to impact all of you. And that's why we're all of us we have individual testimonies, and we must do that. How powerful is it to have those testimonies? Just yesterday, someone testified to you after the prayer meeting of how God came through for this person in a work environment. It's, this person was prayed for. A week later, supernaturally, God opened up a door and this person signed an employment letter in this week. A week ago, another person in that same service, three years, three years unemployed, now employed this person. Just yesterday another person after prayer came and saying for more than 20 years this person has been praying for the salvation of his family his wife and his children today his two kids with their boyfriends are with him in his home in a home cell that is the power of witness yes But in the Bible there was only one David there was only one Moses there was only one Daniel, one Rebecca, one Naomi. Their individual testimonies were all put together in this because this all points to one thing only. It points to the work of God that comes through Jesus Christ that brings us that breakthrough, that we know that we know that we are saved. God's witness. Now, God talks about, now, there's, there are witnesses of men. And mankind, in other words, but then there's God's witness. God's, God is saying to us that even if we add up all the testimonies of all men and women in this world of all the ages and we put them all together and we take it away, this will still be enough for us to believe because God's witness still supersedes all of this. And we have to understand this about witness, and this is the thing that I really want to get to the two main points for this morning concerning witness. Because we get it wrong. I do believe we get it wrong with witnessing. Because God doesn't need us to witness. He doesn't. He doesn't need us to witness. Because God's word already testifies of this. But then why do we go and witness? Because for some unknown reason, the people in this world would not believe God's word. They would believe you. They would believe your testimony. They would believe your witness. The power to testify lies within you that for some reason an unbeliever, a backslider, a lukewarm person will believe what you say about this word. They wouldn't believe this word. That is the power that lies within testimony. God doesn't need our witness. He doesn't need it. The world needs it. So God needs us to witness. The single biggest reason, the single biggest reason why witnessing fails why witnessing is not successful amongst the churches. Only one reason. We go and we want to tell and we want to convince the people of our faith, of our belief, and of our religion. We want to convince them to change their opinion and follow ours. The church is not called to go and witness about your faith and your religion. You are called to go and witness about Jesus Christ. Him alone. Him alone. No one else. Faith didn't save me. I'm not a follower of faith or belief. Faith is not my life. Religion is not my life. Jesus Christ alone is my life. Without Him, if He's taken out of the equation, I have no faith. I have nothing to hold on to. Jesus Christ alone is my life. This is the power of what witnessing is. And we have that internal witness, which is, the Holy, which is the Holy Spirit. I cannot say that. I cannot say that Jesus Christ is my Savior, except it is that I am saved. Because when I was saved, the Holy Spirit, He awakened that in me. He stirred and bubbled it in me that I can't keep it quiet. And so it is with you. You're witnessing is only as powerful as what you share about who Jesus Christ is. Stop even thinking of convincing other people that their faiths are wrong. That's the total wrong approach. Show them who Christ is. Show them who Jesus is. Who is the Jesus Christ that you are witnessing out to the world without even opening your mouth? That is what is going to touch and change the world. We must first, I wrote this point here, we must first become like Jesus before we can tell the world about Jesus. And this is where the body of Christ fails. And this is a lesson for all of us to learn. You don't, you don't just get this one day, you start living it, and Christ must be seen in you. I know, I, I've slipped up badly in this week, you know, We often have to go to the Department of Home Affairs as pastors because we have to submit documents. And if you work at the Department of Home Affairs, please tell us we would like to um, have some kind of inroad to help us with certain things. We love you. We love our government agencies because we always need them. But when you go there, and for me, for the upteenth time, I was faced with a situation that the systems were down. So I drive there and I drive back. And as I was there that morning, there were about five ladies sitting there, very friendly, I must say, I, I, do, I, I do give them credit for that. We've got very friendly staff there that at the Put home affairs. And I asked them to help and they said, oh no, sorry pastor, the systems are down. And I said, okay, well, now when do you think it is coming up? Oh no, it's been down since yesterday. And I knew that was my ticket out of there. <laughs> but as I got to work, I realized this, I missed an opportunity. There were sitting five ladies there and I could have just prayed for them. I could have prayed with him to let the system come up. I was so frustrated because of that. I let an opportunity go. It was an ideal opportunity for me to witness, to be a witness in whatever way it is. Just pray a prayer of encouragement. Just say, no, we pray that in Jesus' name, the systems will come up now. And I did pray that prayer when I was here, but not there. (laughs) And God answered my prayer because one of my colleagues went late in the week and he he submitted my book and everything was accepted. So God does answer prayers. But here's the thing. We must become like Christ first before we tell the world about Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.10 says this, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Oh, when I read this, I stopped. I couldn't read further. To think that there are people who are actually calling God a liar. Because when we deny Jesus Christ, We we, we reject this word here, we call God a liar. Wow, how dare we call God a liar? I think for us as Christians, it is a frightening thought. I know I'm full of sin and I'm riddled with sin and I have got salvation only by God's grace. And I thank God that he's poured it out and that I have received it as I know you have done as well. But to call God a liar? We can never deny what is in this book. Even if you're an unbeliever, all that they do, they just reject what is in here. But we can't deny. The truth is still the truth. But there are people who call God a liar when they do not believe that Jesus Christ is his son. And Jesus, our Lord, equated this to, you are then children of another father, your father, the liar. He says, The devil, you're you're children of your father, the devil, because he's the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. Then you are children of that. To think that you deliberately choose to be a child of the devil. And you must never underestimate the power or belittle who the devil is. Listen, in this church, we've always been very clear. We will talk about the devil. We will expose him and tell him who he is. Because we need to know. You need to know who your adversary is. You need to know because he's God's adversary. We can never make these jokes and, 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 I, and, I, and I truly, I, I shrink when I see pictures of the devil with a fork and with his horns. He's walking around us. We must never treat him lightly. Of all the evil written in God's word, he's the only one God speaks of as a God. The only one is the God of this world. That is how serious our God treats the devil. He's the God of this world, not given to him, but he took it by sin. When we sinned, he took that. He became the owner of that. And he's got it all in his hands. This is why we've got the authority to take it back from him. The believer doesn't have to fear that. But listen, we've gotta be very clear who the devil is. In the churches worldwide, it is a shocking fact that less than 10% of churches preach about these four topics. I've said it before, and I will say it again, because we must wake up to this. Less than 10% of churches in the world preach about the devil, about hell, about salvation, and about repentance. What are you preaching then if you don't say these things? If we don't know who the devil is, how do we know we're going to overcome him? How do we know there's an adversary, there's someone who wants to steal our eternal life that we have through Christ? We have that victory in Christ Jesus. You better know there's an enemy out there. And he hates this word. Somebody said this and it's very true. The two very books, the greatest books in the Bible that the devil hates is the book of Genesis. Because there is exposed as a fraud, a deceiver. And it's the book of Revelation that he hates because there it is said what's going to happen to him. He's gonna be cast into the lake of fire. That is his end and his destiny for us who believe through Christ Jesus alone. That is going to happen we cannot be silent about this verse 11 and this is the testimony and this is the close this this verse is the close for this morning and this is the cherry on the top for you and this is the testimony that god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son of all the witnessing paul writes here Through the leading of God's Holy Spirit, the witnessing in the heavens, the witnessing that's on the earth, your personal witnessing, God's witnessing, the internal witness that we have. All of this points to one thing. We have what the world do not have. We have eternal life. You only get eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you have eternal life. And this you must understand. This is what this verse says. You don't get eternal life when you die and go to the heavens. It is now yours already. You possess eternal life. You must understand this child of God. You have something in your possession that the world cannot take away from you. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you possess something no one can take away. Death is not gonna take that away. No one is going to take that away. A price was paid for eternal life. Why do we need eternal life? Because we are dead without it. We are lost without it. We cannot be with God without eternal life. Eternal life is ours, and today I want you to understand this. Never ever again think of eternal life as something connected to time. It's got nothing to do with time. Eternal life is all about one thing, quality of life. Your life is going to change when you go to the heavens but you're not gonna get eternal life then. You are just going there right now, you possess it. It is yours. Difficult situations, that boss who is harassing you, that relationship that is a problem, that addiction that you are struggling with, nothing of that can take away eternal life from you. It is yours in Christ Jesus. It is a gift. This is the testimony that we have, that if we believe in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life already, it is in me. No matter what the government says, no matter how they want to pollute the word of God, no matter what ordinances they want to bring into the church, I and you have eternal life and it is mine forever because I believe that Jesus Christ is the living son of God. All the testimonies and the witnesses in God's word points to it. It is yours, hold on to it. You cannot lose it unless you walk away from God, but it is yours because Jesus Christ has paid the price. What a treasure we have. What a treasure we have. And closing off with one example, how sad it must be then for that man, the rich young ruler when he came to our Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, how can I obtain eternal life? What must I do? What must I do? He was wealthy. He thought he could possess it through possessions. He wanted to do anything to obtain eternal life. And God said, you must empty yourself. You must give away You don't get it because of, you get it in spite of. This is the power of what that testimony is. Our Lord says this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Everybody says this, say this with me. I am am a child of God. God. I I believe that Jesus Christ it's the living Son Jesus. of God. I possess, I possess eternal, life. eternal life. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. Let's stand. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. What a gift we have. John 6:47 says this, Verily, verily, assuredly, twice this is said. In other words, pay attention. Verily, verily I say unto you, he that believes on me has what? Eternal life. John 11:25. 25. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. Child of God, you go out today, never ever doubting again. Whatever the world throws at you, you already possess eternal life. You already possess it. And this is what's going to happen with all of us when we meet up. Our lifestyle is going to change going into the heavens, but now already I live this life knowing I have eternal life and you have it as well. Let's raise our hands to the heavens. Holy Father God, how glorious it is to be in the house where your presence dwells, where your spirit reveals unmask, and where it also brings the understanding and the revelation, where our Lord Jesus Christ is testified and we know the truth of it, Lord, because the internal witness, your Holy Spirit, does it on our behalf and lord we cannot live without this and today we are grateful for this truth that because we believe that jesus christ is the living son of god we already possess eternal life it is a gift from you father and we thank you for this and our lord as every person goes their own way in this sunday we pray that your holy angels charts concerning them will go before them make the mountains plain surround them father god with your favor for the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the father and the fellowship of your Holy Spirit be with each one of us forever and ever. And this we thank you in the holy name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com